You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. to get back there. Uh, amen. That was great. That's just what I needed this morning. I, I tell you what, this has been a great week. My family and I came back from vacation in Charleston. So it was a short week. We got back Wednesday night, jumped right into this. And uh, I had two people, two different people today come up to me. One person prayed for me. One other person made a comment to me that really, really helped. And uh, I just, I feel so uplifted already this morning. And that's what the body of Christ is. We exhort one another, we encourage one another, and, and I've already received some of that today. Uh, so last Sunday I told you that I was going to preach a sermon on the church glorified, the future of the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, wh- where we're headed, right? You remember that? Were some of you looking forward to that sermon? Uh, well, you're going to have to wait a couple weeks, okay? <laughs> So wait a couple weeks on that. Uh, I changed my mind. I think the Spirit really led me to do that. Uh, today's going to be about the present. We're in, we're in a series on the church, right? Church on Fire. This is a topical series. We don't get too many of these, so we have the freedom to bounce around a little bit. But this series has all been about waking up to our true potential, who we really are. What is our calling? What is our passion? What has God equipped us? What does he want from us? And I want to answer a question with this message today. The question is, how do I get to the point where I can do this? Because there's some lofty goals that God has for us. He speaks very, very highly of us, if you have been noticing. It's almost like, are you sure you're talking to the right person? (laughs) Because I don't always measure up. I'm not always there. I have my bad days. I have my bad weeks. I have my bad months, and we've spent a lot of time on this. Um, How do I love? How do I get there? How do I be someone who genuinely lives out true Christianity? Hasn't that been what all of Romans 12 has been about? But I, as I I walked through what I was going to do this week, you know, all, all, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're in Charleston. In the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm ready to go into the church glorified. But by the time I got back on Thursday morning, I was just like, you know what? I'm hungry for more of this. I personally desire to catch fire in my own heart even more. What else does God's word have to say about it? And we don't have to go very far because today's passage, we're going to be in Romans 13. Uh, And this is not a series in Romans, but we're still here because Paul's not done talking about love. He's not done talking about how we can learn, how we can grow in our love, and how we can actually do all of this. And before we address it, though, before we dive into the text, I want you to answer one more question. And that is, do I even want this? you you got to answer that question yourself. Do I have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I have a passion and a pursuit that I want to do the most I can with my limited time for the kingdom of God? Is, Is that something that you're craving? 
If it's not, you know what? There, there's no way everybody in this room is, is, is feeling that, okay? There's just no way. There's, there's multiple people in this room who are not hungering and thirsting after that. I'm not here to bash you over the head. I'm just here to say, you know what? That needs to change. And there's actually a solution. We're going to see that in the text. You have to have a heart and a desire for this, uh, to be who he's called you to be. And, you know, just to think about it, like the Olympics are coming up next month. Who's ready for this? I'm ready for the Olympics, yes. Um, but think about the fact that, like, you can have professional athletes even. You can have somebody, let's say, make the NBA, a professional basketball player. And they get in there because they are gifted and they are talented, right? Um, they, you know, they, they make the league. They, they sign that first rookie contract. And, you know, the next year they're a little out of shape. And, you know, they get an injury. And then and they come back from that. And, you know, they're playing so-so, not really maximizing their full potential. Then they have a contract year come up. Payday's coming. They play lights out. Like, they, they, they finally realize their true potential. They sign that big contract, and then what happens the next year? Well, they come back to training camp out of shape again. They revert, revert back to who they were originally. You don't have the passion and desires. That's what separates great NBA players from good NBA players. But in the Olympics, everybody that's there has a hunger and a passion and a drive to be the best they can be. You don't make the Olympics coasting in on your talent alone because there's hundreds of other people who are driven and pursuing it, right? I think the church can easily get filled with people who sit back and relax, rest on their laurels. This is who God's made me to be. Yay, here I am. I'm going to get comfortable now. And we lose that hunger and that passion and that energy that, that, that we need to have to love genuinely. Because what we just talked about last Sunday... And the Sunday before that, you know, outdoing one another and showing honor, not, not easy to do. Like, it is, it is a pretty tall task that we have before us. So how do we get there? Let's look at Romans 13. You could say this passage is a fire starter kit. Um, and as I said, one of the reasons I felt led to go back to this, you know, I have actually talked about, I've, I've, I've talked about this with our elders, I've talked about this with some of the men in our life group, is I've personally felt a little dry over the last month. You know, I'm excited about Sunday, it doesn't really show on Sunday, but like, personally, on the, on the Monday through the Saturday, like, I have felt, get, myself, getting a little distracted about all the different things in this world that are coming at me, all these other decisions that I have to make. I'm trying to plan for the future. I, I, you know, I can easily get into the same place that all of us can get into, where we find ourselves growing a little distant, a little cold. Didn't have the same time with the Lord that I needed to have you know, during, in, in the morning, during the week. And, and I have a hunger and a thirst to get back into this. So let's go to Romans 13. Today we're going to be in verses 8 through 14, and we're going to see that Paul is still talking about love. And as a member one of another in the body of Christ, here's what we need to do when you feel yourself getting cold, when you feel yourself growing a little distant. Verse 8, read it with me. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. 
and with any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There you go. There's the text today. Pretty simple text. Pretty straightforward text. We are to owe no one anything but to love one another. It is that simple. Love each other. And, and we know how to love each other because we all know how to love ourselves, right? We, we know what we need. We know what we need to do to take care of ourselves. We're, it's intrinsically in us. You know, when we have a desire, we want to fulfill it. Uh, we can splurge on ourselves whenever we actually can. We, we enjoy doing that. Now, that's one level of love, but it goes deeper. Love, love goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Agape love in the Bible is a sacrifice for someone else. So, so when the Bible's talking about love, that's what it means. To love means sometimes you're going to have to say the hard thing that that person doesn't want to hear because they need to hear it, and it's the loving thing to do. To love is to sometimes limit your liberty, limit what you want to do, your freedom, to actually be the person that someone else needs you to be. That's love. And as, as we're in this series on the church, I think it's been interesting that every passage we go to circles back to this simple truth Love one another. We love God and we love others. In Romans 13, we skipped uh, verses 1 through 7. We're actually going to go back there next week. Um, Romans 13, 1 through 7 are, are a pa is a passage of Scripture that is on how we relate to civil government. Um, and we're going to talk about how when God and government collide. And, you know, it's, it's Independence Day. You know, and we have, we're, we're in a topical series, so we have the liberty, pun intended, to, to jump around a little bit. Uh, we get to do that on Independence Day when we celebrate our freedom. But we'll be looking at that next week. And in the greater context of this entire letter, Paul has been talking a lot about not just love, but the law. And how as the church, how do we relate with the law? The Old Testament law has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And now we're in this new age, this age of mystery. No one really knew. No one was expecting it. We had no idea what the church age was going to be until it happened. And then Jesus instituted it. He created it. And now Paul is explaining that you will obey all of these laws of God. It's all summed up if you love one another. So that's great. We got that. But why do you think he goes this direction, owe no one anything except to love one another? The phrase is pretty catchy. It's pretty memorable. 
He's talking about the law. But why do we owe love? Why does he use that word owe love to one another? We don't like owing things, do we? Stop and think about it. No one wants to be in debt. No one wants to have something hanging over your head. Um, We all want to be completely debt-free. But owing something on a, on a physical level is one thing. We're, we're talking about a spiritual, in the spiritual realm, beyond what we can handle and hold. We are to owe no one anything except to love. So why does he use this word, owe? Now, as a quick side note, I don't think he's talking here. You can't make the case that he's saying you should never go into debt, right? Do you, do you think that's his main point here? Just, just think about it. It's, it's not. Some people will take this pass, passage and passages like this, and they say, hey, never go into debt under any situation. See, it says in the Bible, owe no one anything except the love. So don't owe. Don't ever go into debt. Well, that's the same reasoning that the Pharisees used leading up to Jesus Christ, where they basically took something, letter of the law, and they added to really what the main thought was, the heart of what God was actually teaching. God's point here isn't never get a home loan. Like, if you're, you know, this is the way our structure and our system is. Like, as long as something that's gonna, not going to massively depreciate rapidly, like, our system is set up where you're, you're going to have to probably go into debt here and there to get certain things. That's not what we're talking about, though, okay? So side point over. Owe no one anything but love. He's talking about something deeper. He's talking about the law. Why does he use this language? I really want you to think about this one, don't I? Why do you owe no one anything but love? It's because Jesus Christ loved you, and he paid the ransom for your life, and he owns you. It's because you have received love. You owe love to others because you have received love from Jesus Christ. That's the story of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus redeemed you. He took your punishment. He gave you his righteousness. He saved you from your sin, and now he owns you. He owns you not to just own you, but he owns you to set you free. Now you're free to roam about the country and get out there and love people. We we were bought and purchased from the slavery of sin. We're owned by Jesus, but he, he gives us freedom. So we're not in bondage anymore. And the passage that we read right before the message, Acts 20, talks about the same thing. When Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, when he's saying his goodbye to that church he loved, we read that passage because I wanted to see, I wanted you to see the heart of a church who's truly loving one another. But this is what he said again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. He purchased us. We are owned by God. You don't own yourself. But all he asks of you is to owe no one anything except to love. How does it make you feel that he purchased you? 
Does it make you feel loved? It should, right? You are loved. We say this every single week. But Jesus purchased us with his own life, and it's all summed up now with this simple command, love one another because you are loved. So we all know that. Um, everybody, everybody has that, right? Like that's something you hear pretty much every week. We don't have to go through the purification rituals anymore. You don't have to do anything but love one another. Now, there are some really great ideas that the scripture lays out on how you can get there. Um, you, you gather, you assemble. You can't really love one another if you're not assembling, right? You, you, can't, you can't do these things. You can't create together. You can't work together if you're not together following his plan. But it all comes down to love. So we don't need to complicate things. Whenever you're facing a dilemma or a situation where you have a question, here's a great question to ask. How can I show the most love? What would be the most loving thing to do? Should I or shouldn't I? Just ask this question. Is it loving? This is what God would have me to do. When you have questions, and when you have two options in front of you, ask the question, what is the most loving? And what would bring God the most glory? Because we bring God glory when we love. That is Christianity in a nutshell. Glorify God. When Christians use that phrase, glorify God, what do they mean? Well, well glor to glorify is to show glory, right? What's God's glory? God's glory is everything that is true about him. His love his mercy, his justice, his patience. All of those attributes and characteristics of God, every single one of them, are his glory. And so when we glorify God, we are loving others, we are showing the love of God. Glorify God by loving people because that's what he did for you. Now, we spent a lot of time in that. It was a really long introduction, but that's the easy part. That is, that is the nuts and bolts blueprint that if you've been in church one day in your life, you probably have an idea that that's Christianity. So here's the thing. It's really easy just to enjoy the omelet that's, that's, been, that's been handcrafted and made with your favorite ingredients. But it's another thing to actually put that omelet together, Right? You can't just walk into the grocery store, buy a carton of eggs, and open up that carton of eggs and expect a piping hot, delicious omelet to come out, right? Doesn't work that way. You, you, have, you, you can't, as a Christian, you can't just say, okay, I got to love, and all right, here we go. I'm just going to uh, crack an egg, throw it in the pan, walk away. Oh, I'll come back one week later, throw a couple ingredients in there, uh, throw some peppers in there, whatever. Uh, what else do I have? What else is laying around? Okay, this, this could work. Some salt and pepper, I guess. Sprinkle it on there. If you're not paying attention to that omelet, if you're not taking care and actually planning and preparing that omelet, it's going to turn out really, really poorly. It's going to put a bad taste in your mouth, right? Because you didn't actually work on it and, 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 and handle it with care. As a Christian, we can't expect to just open up the box and just be these perfect loving people like we're, we're told to be if we don't put any effort or preparation 
behind it. So verse 11 in, in 12, again, look at that. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to waken from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This has that same tone that we've been seeing in basically every passage in this series. This, this tone of urgency. Like, wake up! Wait, what are you doing? Don't let that omelet burn over there, okay? Like, you know, pay some attention to that. We talked about this passage having artistic language, and, and this is what I'm talking about. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. What is implied here at is this world is not our home. This, is, this says a lot. This present life isn't eternity. We shouldn't just be living it up and banking everything we have on the here and now. This is also telling us that you being saved from your sin isn't the fulfillment of your salvation. Our ultimate salvation is coming. It's not fully realized. You remember the three elements of salvation that we talk about from time to time whenever this comes up? There's, there's three portions of, of being saved. Justification. It saves you from the penalty of sin. You were declared righteous when you were saved. When you, when you confessed your sin and you received Jesus Christ, you're justified. You're declared righteous. You're saved from the penalty of sin. Then you go into the process of sanctification. That's another component of your salvation. Being sanctified is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It saves us from the power of sin. And then you have glorification, our ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The, the, this is the, the end game where we are saved from the presence of sin. We see Christ face to face. Salvation has justification, sanctification, and glorification. They all three work together, saving you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And all of that is embedded into this text when it says, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So hopefully you are growing and you're getting closer to this point of ultimate salvation. We're not all there yet. But it's time to wake up. Do something while the sun is shining. So here, finally, is how we get there, how we actually do it. Are you ready to see it in the text? Can you say, let's go? Let's go. Let's go. I know. I, I, we're, we're building up. Here's, here it is. The rest of verses 12 and 13. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. This is the first point today. There's two very short points today. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's the step that you need to implement in your life. And, and Paul goes right into this spiritual warfare talk. Remember, we're talking about loving and we ask, does it just happen? I mean, do you just strike a match and now you're burning? Or is it like a slow simmer? Well, 
What, what are the actions that have to take place to get this rolling? The answer is, here's the first thing you need to do. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And this is written to Christians, right? This is to the church. So that would mean that as a Christian, one of the temptations, one of the struggles, one of the obstacles for you is going to be the works of darkness. That's not just for the world. That's for us. Cast off the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? Well, there's a lot of them. Some of them are mentioned here. And there's a few categories here in the text. But if it's not of the light, and it's not glorifying to God, if it's not showing the truth of who God is, it's of the darkness. Those are the works that we have to cast off. It's from the, our enemy, the prince of darkness. So let's cast off untruth in all forms. You have to throw it to the side. You can't let it linger in front of you. It says, cast off the works of darkness. Let us cast off immorality that perverts God's gift of sex. Let's cast off pride and judgment and disunity and quarreling with one another. That's what the text says. And notice that the text puts orgies and drunkenness in the same sentence as quarreling and disunity. Think about that. God wants the church to be unified. He wants his church to be on mission together. But we put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? Well, light in scripture is always synonymous with the truth, right? Jesus is the light. Jesus is the truth. He's the light of the world. So we have the armor of Christ here. You remember that spiritual warfare series that we had? It was basically a year ago now, maybe even a little over a year ago. Um, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Spiritual warfare is a battle for truth in your mind. And I think it's very fitting at the beginning of this whole, ch this whole chapter, I say chapter, but it's really 12 and 13. 12 and 13 are one big package together. And we've been here for a while now, but remember, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to quote it again for the third week in a row. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's where we have to go when we're talking about spiritual warfare. So I want you to think about preparing something, right? We've been, we've been talking about this, but another illustration of this, Julie's been making these amazing chocolate chip cookies, cookies for a cause. Many of you have purchased these cookies that are going towards an amazing adoption that's happening in our church, and it's a great, it's a great thing that, that, that we're doing. Um, but Julie has this, this recipe down, okay? She does, and I'm going to brag about my wife for a minute because they're the best cookies in the world. Uh, but, but, you know, you have, you know, she was talking with me about it. It's like, yeah, you, you can't just melt the butter. Like, a lot of people think you melt the butter. And I'm not here to, like, get in a debate on how to make your cookies. If you, if you like melting your butter, good for you. Go for it. <laughs> but, uh, but in Julie's mind, it's like, for her amazing recipe, it's like, no, you use margarine, this chilled margarine, okay? And, and she, she is getting down to the nitty-gritty details, the science behind it all, 
to prepare that cookie. There's a lot that goes into it before it just the dough goes into the oven, right? This is what we're talking about in your life as a Christian, living out genuine love. Can you just say, all right, I'm going to love people. Yay, let's go do it. And then you don't love people, and then you mess up, and then you get discouraged, and then somebody else doesn't love you, which is life, right? Because everybody's human. And, 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 then, we're, and then we get discouraged, and you're like, wow, this Christian life is so hard. It just is not for me. I can't, I can't pull this off. Well, here is your bread and butter. Here's your recipe. Here are the nitty-gritty details behind it. You are being reminded as a member of Christ's church to cast off the works of darkness. You're going to have a really hard time loving people if you're not casting off everything that is not of the light. Because those things distract you. Those things weigh you down. Those things affect your heart. So it's a, this is a command. When God gives us a command, it's important. The command is cast off the works of darkness. As a member of the church, you have to clearly delineate what is of the light and what is of the darkness. And this is written to an individual. We're talking to you personally, okay? I'm not going to just start listing off a whole bunch of TV shows you can't watch. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. What is, is this of the light or is this of the darkness? How is this going to affect me? Because what I'm putting into my eye gate is going to affect the way I think. The way I think is going to affect what comes out of my mouth. It's going to affect my actions. It's going to affect how I love other people. And now our second point that Paul uh, that Paul has here is he's not going to just tell you to cast off. He's not going to just tell you to put off something and take off something without telling you what to put on. He always does that. Every time in Scripture, we're told to put off. We can't just take the shirt off and then, and then go on. We have to replace it with something else, right? So we take off that Christianity has never been just a no, no, no religion. When God says no, is what he means is don't hurt yourself. When he says don't, don't do that because that will actually negatively affect you and it'll affect all the relationships in your life and it'll put you on the wrong course. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. When he says no, in, his, in, in, in our faith, there's a reason for it and there's also a solution. There's always a yes. There's a no to this, and there's a yes to this. He loves you. He doesn't want you to get stumble and get, get swarmed and engulfed in the works of darkness because he knows sin has painful consequences. There's hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. And here's the second point. Verse 14. Read it with me. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You cannot isolate this verse on its own because then it just turns into a work. When you take this verse out of its context, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make no provision for the flesh, and I'm just going to think about that, and, then, and, that's, and that's where I'm going to go with it. No, remember, this is in the context of love. 
This is actually a preparation piece in the recipe to teach you how to love others genuinely. This is the closing admonition for this entire passage of Scripture that began back in chapter 12. What a beautiful summary. If you are going to love, if you're going after that, you must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Think about it. This is touching on the, all the aspects of our relationship with Jesus Christ, our salvation with Jesus Christ, both the justification and the sanctification process. If you accept Christ, you were justified by, by his blood, right? But that's not where it ends. You must daily make the decision to seek truth and follow Jesus Christ. This is the process of sanctification where you become more like your Savior. If you're a member of the church, you are now Team Jesus. So you take off the old jersey and you put on these new team colors. You take off whatever your identity was before and you put on Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I am a little Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. Again, this means you can't rest in your laurels. You have to continually practice on a daily basis dying to yourself and putting on Christ. When I wake up today, I'm not going to live for what David Rudy wants to do. I'm going to live for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who loved me, who gave his life for me, who shed his blood and purchased me, who owns me, and now he has told me to get out there and owe people one thing, love. When I put on the Lord Jesus Christ and I think about who I am in Jesus Christ, I make my identity what it's supposed to be, my God and my Savior. Do you think I'm going to go around and, and, and just dive into the works of darkness? Or do you think I'm going to expose myself to the truth and, and jump into the light as in the daytime, walk in that and spread love? It says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't go to the wrong places where you know your sin nature will be tempted. Don't go there. Don't watch, don't carelessly watch the wrong kind of entertainment. It has an effect on you. It matters. It will affect how you are able to love others. And you know in your own heart if it's gratifying the flesh or if it's arming you with the light. Right? We know this, don't we? Is it hard to discern light from darkness? If you know Jesus Christ, he's going to make it very clear to you. The Holy Spirit makes it obvious what is of the light and what is of the darkness. And what this is saying is those seemingly little decisions, those little daily decisions... They add up. What's the first thing you look at on your phone in the morning? Do you look at your phone in the morning and 10 other things before you actually talk to God in prayer and listen to him in the word? It's going to have an effect. Those kind of decisions set the compass, either true north or south. No one's ever staying the same. 
as I shared, I've been working through this myself. This is something that's real for me, and I'm so thankful to have a church. I, we have people in our church that noticed that when I came in today. I, I was texting a couple people, a couple different people in our church last night, this morning. You know, I'm thinking about a lot of things, and it's just so refreshing to actually get back to, hey, don't worry about everything else. Think about your salvation in Jesus Christ, what he has given to you, how he has loved you. And here's the truth. When we see his love for us, that's what motivates us to love. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And how do you grow for love? Grow in your love with anything. Anything in the world, you, you love it more when you see what it does for you, when it, gives, when it gives great memories to you, when it provides for you. You know, when you're a kid, you know, you love your parents because they're great. But like, the older you get, the more you see a loving parent sacrifice for you, the deeper your love grows for them. You could, you could take a game, a hobby, when that sport or whatever it is, that, that musical instrument, when it provides fulfillment and enjoyment and you achieve a goal with it and, and, and you have fun with it, it gives back to you, you love it more. You grow in your love for it. Our love with our Savior Jesus Christ grows when we see how much he sacrificed for us. We see how much he gave for us. He gave it all. He gave his life. He purchased us with his own blood. He loves you, and now he's called you to owe no one anything but to love one another. The night is far gone. I mean, you have this old life that's in the past if you're in Christ. If you've confessed your sin and repented, turn to Jesus. I believe that you loved me, that you died for me. Will you please save me? Repentance Salvation, if we have that, you just, you just immerse yourself into what Jesus Christ has done for you, who he is, and your identity in him, and watch your love for him grow. When you start loving God more, you start loving people more. For the church to make an impact and a difference. This is why we're doing this series. I want our church to grow in our love. I want our church to grow in our impact. It's going to happen, and all of the, all the growth will happen, numerical growth, you name it, and all of that growth happens when the individual people, members one of another, catch wind of how much Jesus loves them. And when your, your soul is stirred with the love of Jesus Christ, that creates passion and love for everyone else. Our impact grows we make a greater mark for the kingdom. And that's what we're here to do. So where are you walking today? Which direction? Have you been plateaued for a long time? Have these sermons on loving genuinely sounded good on Sunday and then you quickly forget about it on, uh, on Monday, Monday evening after a long day of work? I get it. Like... like this, this whole series, it can be so overwhelming if it's in your own strength. Outdoing one another and showing honor, I am tired of doing that. 
I'm weary of doing that. No one really cares. I did all this for them. and they, what, what? Don't let your faith become a works-based religion. Look at the love that you've received and share that love. You do these simple things. You cast off the works of darkness. You put on Jesus Christ. We don't need to overcomplicate this. This is how we love one another. So get out there and start loving. Would you stand with me? Worship team, you can come back up. I'm going to pray for us all. Would you, just, would, you, would you direct your heart to God in a posture of prayer right now with me? God, we have received your truth this morning. And I ask right now that for everyone here in this room, every single last person, first and foremost, if they don't know you as their Savior, convict them of their sin right now. Convict them that they are living their life their way apart from their Creator, and they're not going to be happy. They're not going to be fulfilled. They're going to be anxious, and they're going to grow weary. There's a lot of things, Lord, that they cannot see or understand. There's a lot of blessings they will never taste until they find their rest in you. Lord, show them your love. Convict them of that. Now, everyone else, Lord, the church that is gathered here today, maybe we receive some new people into the family of God already this morning. We don't know, we don't quite know yet. But Lord, for those of us here, may we have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. May we desire to be holy as you are holy. Lord, don't let us live in the darkness. We, we, we want to live in the light of the day. We want to roam about showing love, making a difference. And whatever it is in our life, Lord, that we need to cast off, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a relationship with someone, whatever it is that's bringing a dark influence into our lives, will you reveal that right now? To every single person here. Maybe it's maybe it's more than one thing. Maybe there's a couple things going on that you know I gotta get rid of this and I need to actually adjust that. Will you reveal something to us right now? What do we need to change? I ask God that we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, cast that off hand it over to you and worship you. May we love you more than all of those other things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.